Welcome, everyone. I want to welcome you and thank you for being with us. My name is Tim Power. I'm pastor of Modern Worship here. Um, you probably can hear in my voice a little, um, you're probably thinking, wow, did Tim go through puberty? Not yet. I'm a little under the weather today. Um, and so I've, I've, I've asked uh, Pastor Sean to help me serve communion and all of that, but I still wanted to be with everybody and uh, uh, share a little bit. Hey, I've got something really, really important that before I get into the main content of the sermon, I want you guys to hear. Not that everything after this is not going to be important. It's all important, okay? But... I was telling somebody recently, I know that uh, when, when you listen to a sermon, there's a certain time that everybody checks out, right? There's a certain time, and, and maybe we check in and out. In fact, when you go to church, it's one of the few places you go voluntarily that you can be pretty sure that at some point you're going to get bored, right? Am I the only one? I'm a pastor, and I'm admitting that. So I know that I, I can only have everybody's attention for a short period of time, and I know some people will come in and out of sermons. So I want you to hear this if you hear nothing else from this. Listen closely. I want you to hear this. God, the God, the God who made all of this, not the gym, the universe, that God loves you unconditionally and pursues you relentlessly. Okay, that God, the God of the universe loves you unconditionally and pursues you relentlessly. And I wanted to say that because somebody got up this morning and they're desperate and they're ready to give up and they did not want to come to church today. They thought, I'm going to go. They're not going to say anything new. I'm not going to hear anything new. Nothing's going to change in my life. I'm in a loop uh, a day after day, disappointment, I don't know how to get out. And you need to know this, there is hope. There is hope. And that hope is not in the form of a pill. That hope is not in the form of a program or some kind of new habits. Our hope is in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that you can have a relationship with a God that is real, a God that unconditionally loves you, and relentlessly pursues you. So if you take nothing else out of this sermon, I want you to get that because we live in a world where people are desperate for that kind of light, for that kind of love, and we're, we're, we're seeing it more and more and more, desperate people lashing out because they don't know this kind of love. They don't know any kind of love. And in fact, we, we saw this again in, in Texas uh, just yesterday. There was another mass shooting. We're seeing people lash out because they're, they're trapped in darkness. They're trapped in hopelessness. And, and where else do they have to go? If we could, I, I want to say a quick prayer for the people who are suffering right now, uh, uh, families. And, and Pastor Terry had sent out a text that one, a pastor friend of hers was in the ER last night with, with folks, praying for folks that were directly affected by this mass shooting. So if you would just pray with me. Lord God, we, we come to you right now, and, and we just say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on our nation. And I pray, God, that you would be with us and that you would be with the people who are directly affected by the darkness that was unleashed in Texas just yesterday. And, Lord, I know it's happening over and over and over again, and I, to some of us, it feels hopeless. 
to some of us, we just feel like, again, God, I'm just, I, I almost have to shut down my heart. Don't let us grow numb to this, God. Don't let our hearts grow numb. Let us be a people. If we want to follow after you, Jesus, let us be a people whose hearts are broken for those who are hurt by the darkness that is surrounding them. And Lord, let us be people who are carriers of the hope, carriers of the light into the darkness. Let that be what we are as followers of Jesus, people who are part of the solution. Lord God, show us, each one of us, Lord God, in any sphere of influence that we have, show us how we can share some of your amazing love and connect people with it so that the darkness is not surrounding us, but instead it's overcome by the light of the love of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. So I, I want, we're starting a new sermon series. Um, uh, some, somebody told me they came in today disappointed they didn't see superheroes or popcorn. <laughs> that was our last sermon series. Uh, uh, we were, that was a lot of fun we did at the movie sermon series for the month of August. We're in a new sermon series, and it's called Be Brave. Be Brave. Now, that sounds pretty simple, right? Be brave. Don't be afraid. You got it? Okay, I'll see you guys in October. I'm really good at this, aren't I? No, you see, the problem is what we're trying to do is we're trying to understand this idea of bravery from a biblical perspective, uh, from actually a deeply spiritual perspective. One of the things that becomes clear the more you study Scripture, and especially the more you study Jesus Christ and his life, um, is that Jesus' worldview and the worldview of all the New Testament writers is, is really different than any kind of worldview that an individual can hold. It's, it was revolutionary 2,000 years ago, but I think in 2019 it may be even more revolutionary. And you'll find this, that in Scripture, Jesus will over and over again take terms and redefine them. Terms that were, were uh, common to his listeners at the time, common to the people at the time, and he will redefine those terms. And often when he redefined one term, we find that he actually, by implication, will redefine several terms. So we saw last week, I'm, I'm just going to uh, give you a quick example. Last week we, we read this verse uh, from, from the book of Matthew. It said, you have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, in the scripture, Jesus redefines love. See, he states that it's not something just that you have for your families, for these people that are in your tribe. It's even something you share with your enemies, Right? And in doing so, he actually doesn't just redefine love, he redefines enemies, because now your enemy is not just somebody out there, it's somebody you pray for. And in doing so, he also redefines what we think prayer is, because it's not just something you do for your children, for your spouse, for your tribe, it's something you do for your enemies and those who persecute you. He redefines three terms in one scripture, pretty amazing, right? And totally changed the worldview of the people that were listening to him. So we're going to look at this idea of being brave, this concept, and I want you to be ready for, to let Jesus redefine terms for you, things you might think you know. Let the scripture redefine it for you. And our first week, we're going to be talking about bravery, and today we're going to learn that it's brave, get ready to ask for help. Now, I just, I just lost some people. 
I know. I know I just lost some people because some of you stuck with me thus far and said, yes, bravery, love it, courage, strength, love it. I can get behind all of that. But then you trick us with this idea that it's brave to ask for help. Who here likes to ask for help? Wow. Well, we have some, some people. Okay, you guys can leave. You can go. Get an early start on lunch. No, okay, so I hate asking for help, but, and this is going to shock you, I'm the kind of person who needs a lot of help. Um, so so here, here's one way, just one quick example of how I need help a lot and need to ask for help. I lose things. I lose everything. I lose my keys. I lose my wallet. Uh, I lose my phone. Um, my wife and I, we have three kids now. We may have had more, but I might have misplaced them because I lose everything. Everything I lose, okay? Um, just here's a brief example. The other day, I was, I was sitting at home reading a book because I'm super smart and I read books all the time. I'm kidding. Uh, one of the rare times I was sitting reading a book at home, and uh, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I want a snack. I go to the fridge. I get a snack. I come back to sit down, and I've lost my book. I lost it. It took me 25 minutes to find it. It was 10 feet from me in the fridge, and, and guess where it was? It was in the fridge. And it was one of the kind of books that doesn't need to be refrigerated. So I always need to ask for help all the time. And in fact, it's gotten so bad, like with my keys around here, I always have to go ask Jennifer, who's uh, the office manager here, uh, have you seen my keys? They, they, in fact, when they find keys around the building, they don't even put them in the lost and found. They put them in my box. I find random keys. I get like a free car every week because people will put the the keys in my box is that they're just probably Tim's. So I'm the kind of person I always need to ask for help. But a lot of us struggle to ask for help. Why? Because when you ask for help, it makes you feel, dirty word, weak. Weak. And in our culture, is there really anything worse than feeling weak? Even if you're weak, you've got to pretend like you're not weak. But here's the thing, in the kingdom of God, it's totally different. In the kingdom of God, his strength, God's strength is only found in our greatest weakness. So um, I can't think, in, if I think about the Old Testament, I can't think of anybody more brave than David, King David. So um, th this was a guy, if you, if you need a reminder of who this was, he was we, the first time we encounter him, he's a young shepherd. And, and to protect his sheep, we find that he kills a bear. He kills a lion. A little bit later, he kills this giant of the Philistine army named Goliath. And when he becomes king, he has this reputation throughout the ancient world as a fearless warrior. But what was he really like? What, what did he feel on the inside? Well, the neat thing about studying the life of David is this. We can actually, we can read all the stories, the narrative in, in the book of Samuel and 2 Samuel and Kings. We can read the stories about all of the heroic stuff he did, all the drama. But we can also read the Psalms. 
And the Psalms give us some insight because they're his prayers. They're actually his prayers to God and the songs he wrote to God. So while we see this heroic God, we also get a little insight into how he felt and where he was emotionally. So I'm going to read this from Psalm 69. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to skip to verse 12. It says this, Save me, God, because the waters have reached my neck. I have sunk in deep mud. My feet can't touch the bottom. I've entered deep water. The flood has swept me up. I am tired of crying. My throat is hoarse. My eyes are exhausted with waiting for my God. But me, my prayer reaches you, Lord, at just the right time. God, in your great and faithful love, answer me with your certain salvation. Now, I think what we're witnessing here is something pretty unique in a leader, especially in a leader who's noted for his strength and his courage, right? What we're seeing is a leader showing another dirty word. You might want to earmuff your children right now, vulnerability. Vulnerability. He's being vulnerable. Not something we always celebrate in leaders, right? Not in our culture anyway. But what I think is really instructive is if you read the progression from the beginning of this psalm till the end, what you see is that David starts out helpless, starts out crying out for help. But the more he does that, the more vulnerable he becomes, the more that he bears his weakness before God, the more filled with faith he becomes. And by the end, he is sure of salvation. He is sure of his salvation before God. So I want you to say something out loud to somebody close to you, somebody ahead of you, behind you, to your side, uh, to the right side or to the left. I want you to say this. In my weakness, he is strong. Say it like it's really strong. In my weakness, he is strong. So, so a big chunk of the New Testament is written by this guy named Paul. Paul has a really amazing story. At first, he actually hated Christians. He hated Jesus. He went around persecuting people, uh, persecuting the early church, wanted to get rid of everybody. Pretty, uh, Pretty strange guy for God to choose to write most of the New Testament, right? This amazing thing happened, though. Uh, He had this encounter while he was going to persecute more Christians. He had this encounter while he was traveling, and he was knocked off a horse by an encounter with God. It was a bright light, knocked him off his horse, and totally changed his world. Totally changed his world. He became a Christian. He became a follower of Jesus. And then uh, we we find this, this amazing character named Paul, and he wrote most of the New Testament, as I said. He was certainly one of the bravest guys in the New Testament, He was beaten, he was thrown in prison, and yet he kept on preaching the gospel. He was fearless. He was fearless. And Paul saw all sorts of miracles. He would pray for people. He saw people healed. I'm talking really supernatural, amazing things. Yet Paul had a weakness in his own body. And we find that in a letter he wrote to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about this weakness he has. He talks about this weakness. He calls it, uh, in some translations, it calls it a thorn in the flesh, that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what it is. Some scholars, uh, because of the context and things he wrote in other letters, they think that it could have been an eye problem. 
that he had an eye problem. Um, some people actually have heard some scholars talk that, about it that it could have been depression or a mental illness. We don't know. It could have been a really bad hangnail. I don't know. It could be anything. But whatever it was, it made Paul feel really, really weak. Now, I want to pick this up from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 because I, this is just one of my favorite passages. And I love how it's put in uh, the message version. Um, so, so this is a paraphrase, but it really captures, I think, a unique perspective on this. Um, so in, starting in uh, chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, it says this. Because of the extravagance of those revelations, now, little context, Paul had been going on about uh, some visions he had gotten, some, some revelation he got from God. Um, and so he's talking about that, and then he's switching to his own weaknesses. Um, and so I wouldn't get a big head. I was given a gift, a gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did the best to get me down when he, in fact, what he, in fact, did was push me to my knees. No danger, then, of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift, and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Oh, I'm going to read that again because it's so good. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride, and with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Key point of this passage, where I am vulnerable, God is powerful. Where I am vulnerable, God is is powerful. A few years ago, uh, there was a researcher named Brene Brown. Might be a name that some of you have heard. Uh, she's come to a lot of prominence in the last few years and written a lot. Uh, she did a TED Talk, uh, one of the most popular TED Talks ever recorded. It was called The Power of Vulnerability. Now, in it, she talked about the research she did into people who were, as she put it, living wholeheartedly. Okay, uh, And she defines this as people who had greater levels of purpose and contentment than the average person, people who are living wholeheartedly. Now, what her research revealed was that these people share one trait in particular. One trait in particular, they embraced vulnerability. They embraced vulnerability. Not only did they accept the fact that occasionally we're all vulnerable and we need help. No, in fact, these people saw vulnerability as key to their personal, emotional, and spiritual growth. Vulnerability. In fact, uh, this is one of the things that she found is that vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, and empathy. That vulnerability itself, that being open to that weakness, is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, and empathy. Now, I know, okay, some of those words to some people in this room sound a little touchy-feely, right? Uh, it may resonate with a couple people, but to others it sounds kind of like rainbow and cotton candies, right? Uh, another interesting aspect of her research has been how, how um, vulnerability affects people in the workplace, how it affects people in, in, in businesses. Um, she tells a funny story about when she started getting invited after she did her TED Talk um, 
a lot of people who do big TED Talks will get invited to companies. Companies want to have them come in and speak to their workforce because they are great motivational speakers. They'll motivate the workforce. And so she got invited several times, and she would have the CEO sit down. We love your work, Brene. We, we really want you to speak. Um, can you not bring up vulnerability? That's not a part of our culture here. So can you talk about other things, you know, productivity and all, you know, innovation, these things, but don't bring up vulnerability. We don't like that. It's, it's not our culture. And she, she would tell them, you know, that's really too bad. For one, that's my main message. And also, my research shows that vulnerability is actually also the birthplace of innovation and creativity. That, that it doesn't just transform your personal life, it transforms everything. And that companies that are willing to embrace this idea of vulnerability in their workforce can, can unleash unknown innovation and unknown creativity. I'm going to share a, a great quote with her, uh, a, great, a great quote with you guys from Brene Brown. Uh, it, it's a little lengthy, but just try to stick with me. She says this, dependence starts when we are born and lasts until we die. We accept our dependence as babies and ultimately, with varying degrees of resistance, we accept help when we get to the end of our lives. But in the middle of our lives, we mistakenly fall prey to the myth that successful people are those that help rather than need. And broken people need rather than help. Given enough resources, we can even pay for help and create the mirage that we are completely self-sufficient. But the truth is that no amount of money, influence, resources, or determination will change our physical, emotional, and spiritual dependence on others. Why are we here? Do you know why? Why is it important that you're here? You can hear better sermons, I doubt it, um, online, you can hear great music online. There, there, there's so many resources that you don't have to come to a building. You don't have to wake up and get here. So why are we here? It's because God knows that we need each other. God knows that we are people that thrive in our vulnerability. God knows that we are people that only experience God's greatest strength in our weakness. And that means we need each other that it's brave to ask for help of each other and of our Savior. Now, that's a humbling thought, right? But if you think about it, following Jesus is really a humble faith. Following Jesus is a humble faith. I want you to think about this. How was our Savior born into the world? If God was going to come into human form 2,000 years ago, wouldn't it make sense if he came down like Thor with a hammer and biceps the size of Buicks, wouldn't, wouldn't that make more sense? He's large, he's in charge, but that's not how Jesus came to the earth. He came as a baby. Not just a baby, he was born to a poor Jewish girl in a poor occupied country. It doesn't get much more vulnerable than that, right? And he came with a mission. His mission when he came in all his vulnerability, was to save us, to save you and me from death. It's the kind of mission that really takes a lot of bravery, right? It's the kind of mission that takes a lot of bravery. I mean, this is the greatest battle ever fought, right? This is light versus darkness, good versus evil, life versus death. 
And how did our Savior Jesus fight this greatest battle ever fought? By giving up. By giving up. By laying down his life. By dying on a cross, a death that he didn't deserve. See, Jesus made himself vulnerable even to death. Because only in death could he make available to us the same resurrection life that would raise Jesus to life three days later. See, it was Christ's greatest weakness. That's the cross that was the birthplace of resurrection life. Wherever I'm vulnerable, God is powerful. Wherever I'm vulnerable, God is powerful. Amen.